0: Just a regular night in the NBA for David Locke and Ben Goliver to catch up with for a Thursday edition of Locked on NBA. Holy smokes, Ben Goliver. This was just a one night or like a franchise league changing night. I don't know what it was.
1: Yeah, I hope you got some caffeine or some candy bars or something because we got a lot to get through. I mean, I look at probably the biggest headline is Stephen Curry, but it's weird to say that when you had two all-star kind of franchise-level centers. Uh, throwing haymakers at each other on the court too so just stuff going on in every direction
0: all right let's start with Steph Curry broken left hand he is out what the quick question is do the Spurs? I mean the immediate reaction is is James Wiseman Tim Duncan and are the Warriors going to go the route of the 20 and 62 San Antonio Spurs Well, look, I think that this was a
1: choice for them, even with Steph Curry. If you watch them in the early going, they had the worst defense in the league. I mean, there is no uh, cohesion, chemistry whatsoever on that end. And if you just cannot play defense at all in the Western Conference, you're going to lose a lot of games. Now you take Steph Curry, their lead playmaker, off the court on offense, every single possession is going to be a chore. So I don't even think they really have to work at it, Locke. I think, you know, if he winds up missing, you know, usually hand injuries are a matter of of months uh, rather than weeks. You know, if he misses two months, that's almost half the season. I mean, they're going to be losing almost every game that he's out. I think there's a real chance they're the worst team in the Western Conference when he's sidelined. It's just asking D'Angelo Russell to do too much offensively, and there's not enough help for Draymond Green uh, defensively. So I think you're going to see the employment for sure. I think it snaps their playoff streak pretty much no matter what. And then if they really want to uh, you know, maneuver uh, into a tank, they could always decide to kind of slow play, you know, Curry's return, whether it's limiting his minutes or allowing him extra time to heal. And they could also, of course, you know, shut down uh, Clay Thompson for the whole season, just not bring him back. And if they really want to get wild, they could put guys like Russell uh, or Draymond Green onto the trading block and, you know, potentially boost up another contender or another team that just needs a, a lead playmaker. So I think all options are on the table for Golden State, and I, except uh, for winning. You know, I think that one has sailed – Curry was their only hope for a respectable season, uh, and to me, that's now gone.
0: Yeah, and I mean, Draymond's legs have been so beat up, maybe just give him the year, right? Like, basically, uh, load managed Draymond for the entire year, so the next year he's ready. I, the, the thing that's interesting about this, Ben, you're alluding to it, but for those who are in a late-night West Coast game, didn't see this game and just see the final score, that game wasn't that close, Even before Steph Curry is hurt in this game, we're probably leading with the Warriors getting blown out by the Suns by 30 and wondering if the Warriors are the worst team in the Western Conference anyway.
1: I mean, it was 43-14 after one quarter. I mean, that kind of says it all. And we're talking about in Golden State. So this isn't just like the young, happy, uh, you know, mosh pit Phoenix Suns doing their Valley Boys thing at home. I mean, they went up to Chase Center, the brand-new sparkling billion-dollar arena, and ran the Warriors with Steph Curry right off the court. And this is not an anomaly. I mean, we've seen a bunch of different teams just have their way with Golden State. Uh, like I said, it, it just kind of goes back to the defensive uh, execution and effort. They just don't have the horses uh, on that end. And, and so uh, I guess my question to you is, if you were Draymond Green, would you rather play out this season like you mentioned uh, and just wait until next year, maybe you know, have your load managed, uh, and try with the same core group? Or would you want to get traded to a title contender or a team that's maybe in that second tier that wants to get boosted up, right? Like, wouldn't the Portland Trailblazers kill for him? I mean, couldn't the uh, Los Angeles Lakers, uh, you know, really use a Draymond Green? Like, isn't there a landing spot for him somewhere? Uh, You know, if you're the Milwaukee Bucks, is there some way you could, like, find a way to add Draymond Green to your front court, get a little bit more versatile that way, a little bit more experience? Like, don't you think there would be a market out there for him? And if you were Draymond, would you want to jump ship?
0: And why would the Warriors do it?
1: I mean, I think if you're the Warriors, uh, it's like, you know, uh, the, the straw that broke the camel's back, right? It's like, how many different injuries do we have? You look at Draymond, he's, he's 29. He's going to be, uh, you know, this huge $100 million contract for the next four years. And you just decide, look, we wanted to try to make this work, uh, bring back the same core, have another run at it. But, uh, you know, it, it's just too difficult with those major salaries with Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, and Draymond Green all on the books. You know, somebody's got to go to, to add some depth and to kind of uh, rejigger the formula.
0: I mean, it, 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 I think everything's on the table, and they're probably sitting around discussing it, and they probably never thought about the fact that they were discussing it, which makes it uh, maybe the most interesting aspect of all of it. But it, it, they probably do finish with the worst record in the Western Conference at this point.
1: Yeah, so what good does Draymond Green do you if you're the worst team in the West, right? I mean, his, his skills at this point are defensive versatility, Um, it's the leadership, uh, you know, and and you also have to wonder if you're Golden State, do you want to get ahead of any potential age-related decline or mileage-related decline that could be coming for him uh, down the road? I mean, to me, he's still not the same player he was two years ago in terms of pop. Uh, Obviously, he had an incredible playoff run last year, especially against Portland, where uh, at times he was just the best player on the court uh, in that series. So you know it's still there, and and that's why I think there would be, you know, a trade market, uh, you know, if teams willing to take on that money, uh, and I think if you're Golden State, these are really tough questions. I mean, these are, uh, you know, fundamental, like, who are we as an organization type questions. You know, do we still have a chance? What message is it sent to our other guys if we, you know, explore trades like this? But uh, I think that's just how dire this has gotten. They're light years ahead, though. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, I, I think there's a lot of people around the league, and it's – uh you know, you start with the Clippers, uh, that, you know, the first home opener at Chase Center, then go to Oklahoma City and with Chris Paul, where they have, you know, kind of humiliated and humbled and just sort of ruined the careers of so many big people that they're going to get no sympathy, uh, you know, no, uh, No, uh, you know, pats on the back, Uh, you know, at this point, you know, it's just going to be everyone trying to get their revenge for this, uh, you know, incredible champion, you know, organization for five years. That's just, you know, on its last legs right now.
0: Well, the only disaster that might be bigger than the Warriors, because it's explainable, is the Kings.
1: Yeah, I mean, to me... they should just call themselves embarrassing after every single game. I mean, I think Luke Walton already pushed that button pretty early in the season, and that's always a red flag. I mean, there's a couple red flags, right? Like, the players-only meeting, when that happens in, like, October or November, that's a huge red flag. When the coach goes to, we're embarrassing, and, like, you're still in the first week of the season, uh, that's a huge red flag. I mean, to me, uh, you know, I hate to say this, they might be the mentally softest team in the entire league. You know, where's the competitive spirit? They lose to Charlotte at home, and I actually think we should give some credit to the Hornets. You know, this is a team that I thought was going to come into the season and really have a hard time keeping everybody on the same page. You look at Coach James Borrego. He has these young guys playing really, really hard, and he's also been smart about not just turning the whole organization over to Terry Rozier after he got the, that big contract this summer. I was kind of worried their offense was going to look like uh, you know a bun- bunch of hostages and, and Rozier shooting 25 shots a game. That's not what it's been at all. It's been very balanced, lots of ball movement, lots of young, hungry guys. You know, they played pretty competitively against both the Lakers uh, and the Clippers in a back-to-back in Los Angeles. They wound up losing both games, but they acquitted themselves well. And then they went up and earned the win in Sacramento. And and that's where it comes back to the Kings effort. I mean, you shouldn't be losing that game at home. You should not be getting outplayed, outworked on the stretch uh, by a team that's full of a lot of really uh, anonymous young players who are trying to make their name in the – In the NBA at this point, that's exactly what happened.
0: Game one of the season, I watched Phoenix versus Sacramento on tape. I watched most of my games live or then watched them afterwards getting ready for games. We watched Ron Boone, my analyst on Jazz Broadcast, and I watched Phoenix-Sacramento on tape. Sacramento was an utter mess in the first game of the year. Defensive rotations were non-existent. No offensive sets. Phoenix was the exact opposite. Phoenix ran stuff. They were perfectly executed. They slid defensively. They moved. They were completely together, playing with a personality and a heart. It was stunning how different it was on night one, and it has not changed since.
1: Well, you could say the difference is who's gotten paid and who hasn't gotten paid. You know, I see a lot of hungry players down there in Phoenix, and I think Monty Williams has done a good job of getting them all onto the same page and giving them clear roles. I look at the Sacramento roster and I see a lot of guys who have already gotten paid and in a lot of cases, you know, guys who have been overpaid. And so the question is, you know, what do they really have to play for here? And uh, that's why I go back to the issue of pride. You know, is Luke Walton the right personality? Is his style getting through to these guys in the same way that Dave Yeager did? I think that's an open question, but somebody else I think deserves some real blame here is Buddy Heald. I mean, you look at how he carried himself during the preseason in terms of the public negotiations saying, Oh, Sacramento can never get a free agent. They have to pay me or I want to go somewhere else. When you make that kind of a stand and they do take care of you, now you've got some leadership uh, responsibilities. You've got to carry your team through tough times. I'm not seeing that from him. To me, he's kind of a one-dimensional player. He wants to shoot it and he wants to shoot it in transition. He's not a, a plus defensive player. He's not a great playmaker for his teammates. certainly doesn't have that leadership personality yet. Uh, and I would have a hard time, frankly, buying into whatever he was selling after I, if I was one of his teammates, after I just watched how he comported himself here over the last couple of weeks, so to me it's kind of a mess there in Sacramento. And the tricky thing is, if your ownership, you know, what do you do here? Who do you blame? I mean, can you fire Vlade? You've just, you know, uh, basically given him this big uh, rubber stamp of approval here recently, and, and you've been really hyped up after a pretty promising season last year. Can you fire Luke Walton already after just hiring him and and uh, just parting ways with Jaeger? under kind of weird terms. I mean, they're always firing coaches there in Sacramento. I think you your ownership, you just kind of have to grin and bear it and hope it gets better. I'm just not totally sold that it is going to get better.
0: He's Ben Goliver. I'm David Locke. We join together every Thursday on Locked On NBA. Remember, your favorite NBA team has a daily podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network as well, so make sure you tune into that.
2: For those who embrace the impossible, the Defender 110 is up for the adventure. This iconic vehicle has been redefined with a modern design that lets you go further and do more. The exterior is reimagined with compelling proportions and precise detailing, complemented by an interior built with integrity. The Defender capability is legendary. Whether you're facing off-road challenges or harsh weather conditions, its durability has been tested to the extreme. Powerful innovations like the intuitive driver display and award-winning infotainment system keep you connected. Innovative camera technologies deliver unobstructed views and effortless maneuvering. And robust cargo capacity means more room for your gear. Ready for a wide range of adventures, the Defender family features the two-door Defender 90, the Defender 110, and the Defender 130, which seats up to eight. To drive the Defender is to explore with greater confidence. Push what's possible with a vehicle made to go further. The Defender 110. Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com forward slash Defender.
0: Indochino is the world's largest made-to-measure menswear brand. Start your style upgrade now with $30 off your total purchase of three ninety nine dollars or more at Indochino.com when entering Locked On at checkout. All right, where do we go next? Fight of seven-footers or the third highest-scoring non-overtime game in NBA history? Where would we? Where, what, what on the roulette wheel of NBA incredible topics on this crazy night would you like, Ben?
1: I, you know, I think it's the fight, uh, to be honest, because I have I've loved to compare Carl Anthony Towns and Joel Embiid over the years. I mean, clearly there's different styles, right? I think Towns is like the super gifted, smooth shooting offensive uh, center. Embiid's the more rugged, uh, defensive-minded, big-bodied kind of bully-type uh, defensive center. You've got Towns, who's sort of been stranded in Minnesota as they try to find a way to build around him. And, and with Embiid, it's been this kind of like pretty purposeful, uh, you know, pardon the the language, but uh, process oriented building structure around him where he's, you know, got a pretty good sidekick with Ben Simmons, you know, the type of talent that, uh, you know, maybe a player like Carl Anthony Towns wishes Andrew Wiggins was. So they just make for this very, very interesting contrasting duo because they're both great. They're both clearly franchise players. They're both, uh, you know, arguably top 10 guys in the league. Uh, And yet when they get on the court together, they just hate each other's guts. And when they get a chance on Instagram to pop shots at each other, they don't waste them. They just go right back and forth, back and forth. And, uh, you know, this one, uh, it was good that no punches landed. I guess that's one major takeaway. Uh, But I also think if if you're Carl Towns, some real frustration came through. He's had a great start to the season. Uh, You know, Philadelphia is handling his team pretty easily. There's just not enough help for him to, you know, go up against this, you know, big burly uh, Sixers squad. Uh, and I think the, the frustration came through, uh, and it didn't help that Ben Simmons had him in a chokehold on the ground, uh, before the whole thing was said and done. And, and he's tapping the core kind of, you know, asking for help. I mean, it was a, a messy scene. I'm sure there will be suspensions
0: to come. Uh, but it's another chapter in one of the NBA's best rivalries. All right. If you, people did not see this, um, if people did not see this fight or know the backstory, elaborate a little bit on how this fight happened as well as uh, a little bit of on how this, um, you know, on, on and what the backstory is between these two guys.
1: Well, you know, Embiid, I mean, he he is brash and he talks with everyone. I mean, name the center and Embiid's got a rivalry, right? Drummond, he's always in Drummond's head. Carl uh, Anthony Towns, Tal- there's been some games in the past where, you know, Embiid might have a good game. They beat the Timberwolves and then he goes and posts something on social media, kind of making fun of of Carl Anthony Towns. And then you also have the factor where Jimmy Butler kind of played with both of them. And of course, Jimmy Butler, as soon as he got to Philadelphia, he couldn't help, you know, but tell everyone uh, essentially that the, the Minnesota's young guys were a little bit soft and they weren't competitive enough and, and how much he liked Philadelphia's young guys uh, because they were more competitive and more playoff ready. Right. So I think Carl Anthony Towns enters with this, you know, big chip on his shoulder because of that backstory. Uh, And then, like I said, I mean, the precipitating uh, events were just Philly running away with the game, you know, and really, uh, you know, putting Minnesota in a tough spot. There was your typical jockeying kind of back and forth, uh, you know, on a few possessions before the fight really broke out. At one point, I think uh, Towns got Embiid's uh, thumb in his ear, or sorry, not in, in his eyeball, rather, uh, you know, which which looked painful, especially on like the, the super zoomed in pictures. But, uh, you know, it was, uh, you know, a good old fashioned brawl. I mean, these guys are both trying to throw punches. You know, NBA guys never connect, you know, so it wasn't ever, you know, really that dangerous. Uh, but it certainly cleared the benches. It, it turned into a scrum. Towns was stuck underneath a big pile of people with Ben Simmons on his back. Uh, you know, it's certainly the kind of thing where, you know, if you're in the office, Uh, you know, at 9 a.m. on Thursday morning. I mean, cue the clip up, you know. Give it a few watches because it's pretty good.
0: What's your guess? I don't know. Maybe they'll have decided by the time we listen, but what's your – people have listened. What's your guess? Uh, I would say, you know, one or two games for
1: these guys. Uh, And I would also guess that it will be even, you know, both ways. I think Embiid was trying to lobby and say that, you know, he didn't deserve anything. But I think given kind of the the provocations and the fact that after the game – uh you know he was kind of egging on towns again with some more social media comments uh you know basically you know saying that uh, you know Embiid's tougher and, and all these kinds of things i think that that will all contribute to making sure that he gets suspended
0: what is your take on philadelphia here in the early going and on how good this team is oh they're really good and uh, i think you know another story that's like you know buried on
1: page 10 of the sports page was milwaukee blowing a gigantic lead against Boston, getting totally outworked and outplayed in the second half. And so, you know, if I'm looking at who's been the best team, you know, so far in the Eastern Conference, I mean, I think that Philly's got a really strong argument, uh, you know, to be in that spot. Um, They haven't had, I would say, as many continuity questions as some teams have, have, you know, with with new pieces to start the season. Um, I think it helps that they've got some proven guys who just know what they're doing defensively and they can lock up a lot of teams. Uh, you know, pretty much, you know, off the strength of of that. Uh, But, you know, we knew that they were going to be one of the most talented teams in the East coming into the season. I just think they've played to that. What do you think?
0: Well, uh, I haven't seen them enough. I mean, I think it's interesting how they're forming that rotation. Thibel, obviously, is finding a way to give them, you know, 21 minutes a night. Um, And so some of the questions about what they were doing on the backside of this kind of incredible starting five seems to be, and they're finding answers for that, and they've been successful uh with that group on the floor and if they if that group's you know holds its own then this team is is remarkable because they have the best starting five in the league
1: yeah I mean they held Minnesota to 43 in the first half right I mean so that kind of tells you like they've established their style of play they've you know got the case where they want it they're holding Towns in check he's been going off against everybody else uh you know that was not the case at all against Embiid uh and then they're just sort of accounting for uh, you know all the you know complimentary players that Minnesota's got. In other words, they're they're rotating out the shooters. They're kind of limiting three pointers as well as they can, um, and they're taking away all the easy stuff and just turning it into a rock fight. I mean that's their specialty. Uh, and they've been doing that consistently.
0: It's easy to say Milwaukee shouldn't lose that game. I mean, they were up 16 at the half. But frankly, you know, game swing. They go cold in the third quarter. It's a 20-point, 38-18 third quarter uh, for Milwaukee. But Milwaukee is 2-2. Two and two. It's too early, like we're eight days into the season. Uh, you don't want to get too worried about things. But I don't know. Wesley Matthews is an, is an older player. He's certainly not Malcolm Brogdon. Um, are you? How concerned do you get about Milwaukee at all? Well, I think
1: here's the concern. I think the concern is that last year they don't lose that game. You know, last year they just kind of put their foot on the pedal uh, and they just, you know, kind of humble and humiliate and break the other team's spirit. I mean, that's how you win 60 games, right? Like, you don't screw around when you get a big lead. You just take care of business. And they just didn't have it uh, in the second half. And you could tell the, the momentum and the confidence from Boston's side was kind of slowly building. Uh, you know, Marcus Smart had a number of kind of key just momentum-changing plays. Jason Tatum really stepped forward and had a really, really nice night for the Boston Celtics. I'm sure that's probably going to be the headline there locally is just how well he played, and how he kind of shifted things, um, you know, without a, a counter response uh, from Milwaukee. But, you know, let's just be honest. I mean, the Bucks folded that's what it was. And they didn't do that too often last year, especially during the regular season. Um, so I don't know if you want to chalk that up to a little bit of a playoff hangover, In other words, you know, now that you've been to the Eastern Conference, you don't have to prove that anymore. So, you know, a random night in October doesn't quite mean as much to you this season as it did last season. You mentioned some of the uh, personnel changes. Uh, That could certainly be an issue. Um, And Giannis just went quiet late, you know, uncharacteristically quiet. Um, And I think ultimately, like, a lot of times when they were uh, just demoralizing or taking teams apart last year, uh, it was because he was just insatiable. And uh, I think he just – I don't know if he hit a wall or what happened, but – Uh, They were, to me, one of the bigger disappointments of the night.
0: Every Thursday, it's Ben Golliver. I'm David Locke. We're with you tomorrow. Anthony Irwin and Adam Matas take the Friday show. Monday is Josh Lloyd bringing you the great uh, local experts on the biggest stories, recapping the weekend. You also have two other national shows on the Lockdown Podcast Network with Rejecting the Screen and with Adam Kozlov and or Adam Noah Kozlov and Adam Stenko and Hollinger and Duncan on Monday's here on the Locked On podcast network by the way Richard Jefferson is the guest on Rejecting the Screen today Peloton is offering a limited time offer. Get $100 off accessories when you purchase the Peloton bike and get a great cardio workout at home. Go to OnePeloton.com. Use the promo code LOCK to get started. All right, quickly running through some of the other games that don't matter before we get to, or not that don't matter, but that just we're probably not going to talk about tonight. Uh, uh, Cleveland beat Chicago. That's not great. Uh, Here, get a quick take. Um, Jim Boylan's uh, clocking in, clocking out. Might get him clocking out the way things are going there.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think if I'm boiling, I'm so thankful that Sacramento has been as bad as they've been because otherwise we'd all be just kind of like uh, tarring and feathering the Bulls at this point. But uh, yeah, I think uh, this the this, this start to the season has not gone the way they've wanted, and you know, to me they're they're dropping games to some teams that they shouldn't be losing to. I mean, they should definitely be above Cleveland on the pecking order there uh, in the Eastern Conference, and uh, you know, Cleveland pretty much controlled that game, put it away late. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's starting to get a little bit concerning. I don't know if it's like full, you know, red flag because they just gave him that, uh, you know, new contract extension, but – uh, the seat's warming up a little bit.
0: Orlando beats New York. Relevance there is New York scores 83 points. Orlando's defense is rising to be one of the best in the league. That could get you as a fifth or fourth spot in the Eastern Conference if your defense is, is really that good. Toronto beats Detroit 125-113 last night. Indiana gets a win in Brooklyn. Brooklyn's not as good as I thought they were going to be. I thought Brooklyn this year was actually going to be a lot better than people had thought with, with LaVert and Dinwiddie and Kyrie and – I expected that to be an elite offensive team pretty good. I'm surprised they've scuffled a little bit early, Ben. It
1: might be a case where Indiana just really needed a win, too. You know, I mean, they've had a tough start to the season, and so they may have just been kind of like walking into a wood chip for a little bit. But my big concern with Brooklyn is that, you know, they're trying to make this whole argument about can we balance our culture that we've established versus, you know, turning it over to the Kyrie show. And to me, it's really looked a lot like the Kyrie show, especially late in games. And as phenomenal as he is as a, uh, you know, a playmaker, a shot creator, and, uh, you know, a big shot maker, you know, if you're going to go isolation and just have one guy do everything late in games, you're going to lose a lot of those games. I mean, almost no matter how good your player is, I wish they, you know, were able to pull in a little bit more of of what made the Nets uh, an attractive destination in the first place, you know, maintaining the balance and not just kind of doing, uh, you know, the one-on-five show.
0: Sabonis, Miles Turner sprains an ankle, leaves the game. Sabonis plays the center. He scores 29 points, has eight rebounds, four assists. Worth keeping an eye on in uh, Indiana, depending on how long Miles Turner is out. All right, quickly running through the other ones tonight because there's one we've got to talk about. Portland wins in Oklahoma City, 102-99. Utah beats the Kawhi Leonard and Paul George-less Clippers. The only relevance there is Utah has held all five opponents under 100 points, and their defense might be great without Derek Favors. We touched on Charlotte beating Sacramento and Phoenix beating Golden State. And that leads us to this, the third highest scoring game, non-overtime in NBA history, Rockets 159, Wizards 158. Holy smokes.
1: No, look, I mean, this was Rucker Park or or Berry Farms or whatever you want to say. I mean, it really was on an NBA court. It was crazy. I think uh, the Wizards, all told, had seven guys in double figures, including Bradley Beal with forty six. The Rockets, uh, meanwhile, I think they had six guys in double figures. James Harden had 59. And the end game was, I mean, the whole thing was crazy. I mean, it started off as a shootout, and they just never relented. It was so much one on one play, just guys driving past their defenders. Nobody could stop anybody, as you might imagine by the scoreline. But they just kept kind of raising the stakes late. And it was just like, you know, big play after big play after big play. There was some. Uh, kind of questionable calls. I'm sure the Wizards fans are upset about, you know, Harden got bailed out in the closing seconds, uh, you know, to kind of you know, get the, the final free throw to steal it. But one, you know, real key situation for the Wizards. I mean, a, a late possession and Isaiah Thomas sails a pass uh, into the stands. Unfortunately, you know, very you know, poorly timed turnover. I think he had five turnovers on the night. Uh, you know, he's been an interesting spark for them, you know, providing some scoring and maybe getting him back a little bit uh, to where he was a few seasons ago. Uh, but it was just a case where, like, you know, one mistake or one empty possession in a game that goes 159, 158 uh, could have a big uh, repercussion. Uh,
0: did you see the offense and defensive ratings on this game? <laughs> what were they? I, one, I'm guessing, like... 144. That means, for those that people who yeah. don't follow that, it means that the teams were averaging 1.4 points every time they crossed half-court.
1: Like how well, do you- you know, look at the three-pointers look, look three for both teams. I mean, Washington shoots 20 of 36, so that's like 56%. Houston shoots 23 for 54, that's 43%. And, of course, both teams are getting the free-throw lines you know, in this kind of a game, too. I mean, it really, like, everybody should go watch this game. It, it did not seem real well it was happening. It definitely felt like a video game. Um, and the refs had their hands full the whole way.
0: <laughs> All right, quick uh, questions on a few guys in this game. I, I don't know how much you've gotten to watch the six foot eight, two hundred and thirty pound rookie out of Gonzaga, Rui, Rui Hashimura. I was in Japan during the draft, uh, and I can tell you the country was going crazy. He's been far better than I anticipated. Um, He's—I think he came into tonight averaging sixteen points a game. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe that includes tonight. Um, no, that doesn't include tonight. Where he had twenty-three. Uh, He's been shooting it fairly well. He's not shooting threes. He's rebounding. What's your thought on this rookie?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I saw him play when he was at Gonzaga. He's an interesting player. You just kind of wondered, you know, he was a little bit older than the average, like, one-and-done guy. And, you know, his offense was a little bit robotic in college where a little just predictable. Uh, And I think, um, you know, he's in a great situation in Washington because there's no pressure. There's no expectations. He has the greenest possible light because they don't have a lot of other talent. Um, And – They've got a pretty good culture going there for you know the first time in years and years. I mean they've had so much trouble, uh, you know, keeping guys invested, you know, finding uh, role players who are high energy guys who are just you know all about basketball. I mean that's definitely not been the profile of the average Washington Wizards team here uh, over the last ten years. I mean they've had more than their fair share of knuckleheads, and you know Rui Hachimura is a very focused player. Uh, you know he, he plays hard, he plays with a lot of energy, he's pretty relentless. Um, you know he's got I wouldn't say he has a layered offensive game but he can score in a few different ways um and I think you know for him the growth areas are going to be you know consistency on the defensive end and then you know trying to mix in some playmaking right I mean you don't want to be a guy where you know you wind up be kind of coming up a black hole or somebody who just moves the ball around the perimeter because you know there's kind of no in between uh you know options there for him and I think that's an area for his growth but You know, Washington bet big on him. Right. And I think some people accuse them of almost like, hey, you know, trying to get the, uh, you know, play to the Japanese market because he's such a big celebrity there. I mean, they got dozens of reporters going to media day to follow him. And I think what uh, they're finding out here in the first couple of weeks is it's not just uh, a matter of, uh, you know, notoriety or fame. I mean, this guy can really play. Uh,
0: All right. What final thing for today, uh, your initial take on the Westbrook Harden Rockets.
1: Well, look, uh, I can't exactly praise a team that just gave up 158 points to the Washington Wizards. You know, I mean, that's no disrespect to the Wizards. I guess it is a little disrespect to the Wizards, but come on. I mean, that's that's not going to be a winning formula for a serious team uh, whatsoever. You know, Harden was sensational offensively against Washington. He's had some issues just st- slow start to the season. Um, but my concerns that, you know, coming in that they would be uh, you know, a little bit, uh, you know, oil and water in some ways in terms of Westbrook wanting to play very frantic and, and Harden having shown such great efficiency in a more deliberate style. But then also, you know, them overlapping too much, you know, and getting into situations where, uh, you know, one, only one guy can have the ball and the other guy's kind of standing around watching. I mean, those concerns uh, have been validated, you know, definitely at times here in their first uh, week or so. But defensively uh, is the real issue. I don't know how you play high-level defense. I don't know how you win a playoff series against uh, the Clippers or the Utah Jazz, who you mentioned, or even a team like the Lakers, uh, if you just can't stop anybody. And I think that's my big concern with this group, is if you're playing hard in Westbrook during crunch time, are you getting enough stops? Are you versatile enough? Can you stop you know, the, the lead wings uh, in this league? At a high enough level to be able to win games. I'm just not sure they can.
0: He's Ben Golliver. How do you get your newsletter on the Washington Post? It's a must have for all NBA fans. Yeah, it comes out every Monday.
1: Just, uh, you know, you could search for the NBA Post Up newsletter on Washington Post. You can go to my Twitter page. There's a link there as well at Ben Golliver
0: he's Ben Golliver. I'm David Locke we'll be with you every Thursday Adam and uh, Anthony are with you tomorrow make sure you get locked on NBA every day it's your 30 minute rundown of the events of the night before and usually looking ahead but there was too much tonight to take place are we going with Steph Curry as the biggest story of the night oh I think so I, I think so because this is a team that made the playoffs I think like six or seven
1: years straight made the finals five years straight and now they're toast you know and and that uh, doesn't happen
0: too often all right, he's Ben Golliver. I'm David Locke. As I said, thanks for tuning in. Go listen to Rejecting the Scream with Richard Jefferson or Hollinger and Duncan, if you haven't already grabbed that, or your favorite team's daily NBA podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network.